I'm honored and, and blessed to be able to bring you the word today. It's such a privilege to be on this stage and be able to share God's word with you. And I, I don't take that lightly. So uh, I want to give you my text verse for the morning. And it's found in uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy, his protege, Timothy. He wrote two letters to him and uh, they were written from in prison. And it's important that we know that he was in prison when he wrote this because it makes it even more powerful, if you ask me. Uh, in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. amen. Thank you, God, that he gives us the, a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind and not fear. And today I want to talk to you about exposing fear in your life. My, the title of my sermon is, is Exposing Fear. And uh, I want to talk to you about that this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we move on into this time of our service today. So if you'll pray with me. Father God, we thank you today that you are awesome in this place. And Lord, we give you all the glory. You're the only one worthy of any glory. And we pray that you would do your work in our hearts during this time that we have together today, God. Thank you for the wonderful time of worship. And I pray that we would continue. We'd be able to worship you through teaching. And through understanding your word better, God, I pray you minister to our hearts and that you would receive all the glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name and amen. Okay, so Wednesday is another holiday, obviously. It's Halloween. And, and we know Halloween is the devil's holiday, so we don't celebrate it, right? Um, but do we let our kids go out and, and get some candy? Do we have any problem with that? Not at all. Do I have any problem confiscating half of their Snickers when they get back? Not at all. Uh, they're lucky if I only take half of them. Um, I love it. That's my, that's my vice. So don't bring me a Snickers. I don't want any because they just make me fatter. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we don't celebrate Halloween, but we do take advantage of this opportunity that we have. We have a golden opportunity on Halloween night uh, in our neighborhoods. And we do an outreach here, and it's called the Halloween Challenge. This is our third year we've done it. And we've had more families do it every year we've done it. I think this year we're up to 35 or so families that, are, that have taken this challenge. And it's wonderful because we give people uh, that the, in the church that will take this challenge, we give them a box with uh, New Hope at Steve's Dairy tickets, among other things. And what we ask them to do is just sit out in your driveway as people are coming up to your house. You know, this, this is the one time of year that your neighbors will literally come up your sidewalk and up your driveway and you don't feel like calling the cops, you know. <laughs> They're practically begging you to invite them to church. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to invite them. We're going to give them free tickets to this Steve's Dairy event that we do. It's going to be in a couple weeks. And when they come to Steeds, we're going to, if they're guests there, we're going to talk to them and we're going to invite them to church. And some of them are going to come to church. And it's an outreach for us to be able to, to get to, into our communities, into our neighborhoods, and to love our neighbor. And I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible somewhere. Um, and so we, we take advantage of that. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful time. It's a way to redeem Halloween for all of us. And so, but the thing is about Halloween, there's always that scare factor. You know, people like to be kind of scared during the time of Halloween. You see all that kind of stuff going around. And, and so it feels appropriate to talk about fear. Uh, at a time like this, because I, wanna, I, don't want, I don't care about the Halloween kind of scary and fear. What I want to talk to you about today is the, the kind of fear that, that knocks on our door the other 364 days a year. The kind that manifests in, in worry and anxiety and doubt and, and sometimes depression and, and be, being stressed out and worried about life. That's the kind of worry that, that I want to talk to you about today, because um, that's the kind that can actually cripple us. That's the kind that can actually torment us. Um, in the church. And, you know, it's sad, but the church is not immune to that kind of fear. We're not immune to it at all. In fact, some would say that, that fear is as prevalent in the church as it is outside the church. And it doesn't have to be that way, church. We have the power. That, that verse I read says God's given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind, not a spirit of fear. So we have the, we have the authority, we have the tools to be able to walk in, in a way that's not a fearful way of walking, in a way of peace and of faith and trusting God. And that's his, that's his design for us, and that's what he wants for each and every one of us. But we have to choose to do that. 
Because uh, Paul said, and I want to read a verse that, another verse of Paul's. It's in uh, Galatians 5. And it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. We do not have to be slaves to fear. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. We don't have to be slaves to fear. Jesus set us free. It's, Paul says it was for freedom that he set us free. So we look at that and we go, okay, good. We're free. But that doesn't mean that, that fear has no place in our life. It has no influence over us. It can absolutely have influence over us if we allow it to. We, it, Paul said there very clearly, he said, stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. He wrote this to Christians, guys. He said, we have to stand firm. We have to wage all out war against fear in our life. If we're going to beat it, we have to be determined that we are not going to let fear have its way in our life, but we're going to defeat it. The great news is we don't have to do it on our own. We've got the Holy Spirit living in us that empowers us to live free from that fear. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you today about some of the ways fear, fear makes us irrational and also some of the effects or the causes of fear in our life and how we can defeat it. And uh, I, I was, our, our, our youth are actually at Carowinds today. That's why there's a, there's a lot of youth missing. I think there's 50 or 60 of them that are at Carowinds that went there this weekend and this morning. They're, they're visiting a church in Charlotte uh, before they come home. And uh, there was this thing at, at Carowinds right now, because it's Halloween, they have a thing called Scarowinds. And I don't even know what it is. It was a graphic that I saw because we were looking at the Carowinds website. And the graphic has uh, a, like a real scary looking hand that's coming around the corner. And it says, it's the, the tagline under it, it says, fear is waiting for you. And man, when I read that, I thought, boy, they don't know how true that is. Fear is always waiting for us. It's always waiting to have its way in our life. Because see, the, the truth of the matter is, there's no magic pill to beating fear. Okay, There's nothing I'm going to say up here today that's just going to all of a sudden make it all just melt away and you're just going to float through life with total peace and total faith and never have any issues again the rest of your life. It's not, there's, no, there's no magic pill because fear is always waiting for us. Now, can God deliver us and set us free instantaneously? You better believe it. I believe in that with all my heart. I've seen the Holy Spirit do it in lives. I saw him do it in my wife's life. But I tell you what, she didn't, when she was delivered from fear, it didn't just mean the rest of her life was just a candy walk and that she didn't have to worry about anything. It, what fear does is it, if you get delivered from one area, the enemy's not going to stop. He's not just going to give up and say, well, we lost that battle. We'll let him go. He's going to look for other areas to bring fear into your life. You get, you get victory over your fear of, of your finances, then he's going to go after getting, trying to make you scared about your kids or about something else in your life. And he's always going to be coming at you. So we, we have to be willing to wage war against it and know that the battle's never completely won until we actually get to go be with Jesus. But we can fight against it and walk in victory. Amen? And so I want to read to you a passage that's out of Mark 4 um, that talks about how fear makes us irrational. Because what I want to do today is I want to kind of paint a bullseye in our life of what fear is and what it looks like because we have to, if we're going to shoot it at, at, against fear, we're going to fight against it, we have to know where it is, where it's coming from and what it's doing. And so I'm going to start with... Uh, talking about how it makes us irrational. And it's in Mark 4 and 35 through 41. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's really good. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking, let us go over to the other side. Now remember what he said there. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. You got to love Jesus. How great is that? The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. 
He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, there's a couple things in this passage that shows us how fear makes us irrational. I'm just going to go through them real quick. But the first one is that it makes us control freaks. When we're operating in fear, it causes us to want to control whatever area of fear we're dealing with. We try to control that situation. If you're, if you're scared about your health, you're going you're gonna to do everything you know to try to control your health in a way that you feel like you're doing the best you can. Now, is it good to take care of your body and your health? Of course. But it's all about what motivates you. We can't be motivated by fear. You know, if you're fearful about your kids, a lot of people fear for their kids. Lots and lots of people. I hear it all the time how they fear for their kids. So what some, of, some parents do is they use manipulation to control their kids because they, they say the end justifies the means because I'm really just trying to keep them safe. So if I got to manipulate them, I'll manipulate them to keep them safe. But it's all motivated by fear. And that's not God's heart for any one of us. It's not, we're not meant to control our situations. But if we're motivated by fear, we'll try to control everything in our life that we're fearful about. That's what control is. It's always coming from a place of feeling like I have to control it because if I don't do it, something bad's going to happen. And it makes us control freaks. And that is absolutely not God's heart for us. And the way that the disciples were control freaks in that is when they said, and it wasn't in this version of that story. There's uh, Matthew and Luke also have a version of this story. And in Matthew's version, when they woke Jesus up, they said, Lord, save us. They were commanding Jesus to do their bidding. Now, granted, they thought they were going to die. So, you know, you have some grace for them there. But for a student to to talk to the rabbi, the teacher that way was uh, more than frowned upon. But they were trying to control the situation, and they were, it was, they were, they were uh, so afraid that they were trying to control Jesus and even tell him what to do. And the way I look at a situation like that, like, is if, if Jesus is asleep in the stern, you're going to be okay. You know? I, the comparison I make to that is, is on, an, on a flight. If you fly a lot or if you don't fly a lot, I, I've flown up many, many, many times. And somebody told me long, long ago, when you, when you get into this turbulence in an airplane and it, it gets really bad, I've been in it where stuff was flying around in the overhead compartments. I've been in it where it was really bad. And they, they told me that if it gets really bad, all you need to do is look at the flight attendants. If the flight attendants are sitting there, you know, just bouncing around but sipping on their Coke, you know you're okay. You know, because they've, they've done it so many times, they know whether, whether to be freaked out or not. Now, if the flight attendants are running around and grabbing a parachute and opening the door and jumping out... Then I say it's okay to start freaking out. But, I mean, Jesus was literally asleep in the boat. The disciples, it's, it's like the disciples were like, oh, my goodness, he doesn't even know what's going on. We've got to wake him and tell him what's going on. You know, as, as if Jesus uh, was unaware of the situation. But we don't have to control our situation. We can trust God. Amen? So the next one is that it makes us question God's character. The disciples said to Jesus, don't you care if we drown? One of the most ridiculous statements in all the Bible. Don't you care if we drown? You know, we can make fun of them and say, oh my goodness, guys, come on. I mean, yeah, Jesus with, you know, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, that guy. He was hanging out with you. I think he cares if you drown. They've been spending time with him. They knew him. They knew his heart for them. And we can make fun of them and say, oh, that's so ridiculous. But you know what? For us, we do the same thing. You know, we can sing about the goodness of God and and worship Jesus and be excited about him. But where the rubber meets the road and we're out there and we got to make some decisions, uh, a lot of times we will question God's character in our life. You know, it's, it's easy to believe for someone else. Like, oh yeah, God, yeah, God's good. He'll do that for you. But when it comes to ourself, it's a little harder to believe. When we're operating in fear, we're not believing what God wants us to believe. When we're operating in fear, we're, we're, we're questioning the character of God saying, well, is God really that good? I mean, maybe he's not going to do it. 
You know, we can look at a situation that happened to somebody else that we know that loved Jesus and, and immediately think, well, you know, maybe God's not as good as we think he is. When, when in reality, we know he's that good and better. He's the best thing that's ever happened. But fear will make you question his character and how much he really cares about you. The third one is that it gives us spiritual amnesia. I love this term. I don't know who coined it, but spiritual amnesia. Lots and lots of Christians suffer from spiritual amnesia. It's easy to forget the faithfulness of God in our life when we're operating in fear. Uh, if, I, if you remember right at the beginning of that, that passage I read, it said, Jesus told his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, this is pretty simple. If Jesus says you're going to the other side, what's going to happen? You're going to the other side. That's it. There's no, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to ask God again. You just know you're going to the other side because if, there's a lot of things in life that are variable, that are not constant, but the word of God is constant. If Jesus says it's happening, it's happening. But when we are operating in fear, it's easy for us to, to forget about his faithfulness, to question his faithfulness in our life and to, to get amnesia about how good he really is to us. I, when, uh, when Joy and I still had our business, you know, one thing I learned about being in business for, for 15 years is that there's a lot of ups and downs. You know, business life is usually like this. Um, and you, what happens is you learn over time to not freak out during the downtimes and not to, not to get too excited during the uptimes, but to just try to take it all in stride. And because, uh, you know, you've heard the term feast or famine. That's, that's, that's coined from a business perspective. And so at one point we had this time where it was, it was down. And uh, for whatever reason, it really got to me this time. And I was really worrying. I remember just being, I was crippled by, by worry and anxiety over this, this season. And uh, I was praying one day at work. And uh, I remember the Lord just spoke to me. And he just told me to, to go to Psalm 34 and to, uh, to read what it was. And I'm going to read it to you so I don't butcher it. Uh, it says, come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. And I felt like the Lord told me, I want you to, to talk about my goodness in your life and my faithfulness in your life. So I called Joy immediately and I said, listen, when I get home tonight, we're going to talk about how God has been faithful in our life. And we're going to reminisce about his faithfulness. And I said, you have to be thinking about some of the things you can remember and I'll think of what I can remember and we're going to come together. She said, great. So I got home that night, we ate dinner, we sat down and we just started talking about the faithfulness of God. And Joy would say, remember when God did this? And I'd say, oh, I forgot about that. And I'd say, remember this? And she'd say, oh, I forgot about that. And we talked for hours about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And I can tell you by the end of that night, I had no worry, no anxiety left whatsoever because I was just reminiscing about how good God really is. Amen. That's why he tells us to remember his goodness. Don't get spiritual amnesia. Because when you get into fear, you will forget how good he really is in your life and what he's done in your life. We've all got a testimony. We've all got stories to say what God has done in each one of our lives and how good he really is. But doubt will cause you to forget the promises of God in your life. All right, so the last one there for, um, in this passage is that it exaggerates the bad. The disciples yelled at Jesus and said, we're going to drown. Now, it may have been that bad that that in certain situations they could have you know, been capsized or whatever. There's no evidence to say that it wasn't. But, but the point of this is, is that it causes us to be pessimistic. We exaggerate everything that happens to us when we're operating in fear. You know, you, you've, you've seen it, maybe you've even operated in that. You know, you, you get a runny nose and your first thought is, oh my gosh, I got an incurable disease. You know, you just jump to 18 different conclusions right off the bat, you know, before you even, when you realize, oh wait, it's actually allergy season, Never mind. 
you know. Or you go to work and you find out, you know, they're laying some people off. They're going to lay some people off. And, oh, my gosh, we're going to be broke, homeless, and poor, and starving to death. You know, when you don't even know if you're the one that's getting laid off. But we, but we just exaggerate the bad when we're operating in fear. Every little thing, uh, something that, I mean, as Christians, we know sometimes you get news that's not good. That's, let's just be real. Sometimes there's things that aren't great. But, but if you're operating in fear, that little thing that's not good becomes a, a mountain. Because the fear takes over and says, oh, we're looking at worst case scenario in every situation. You know, whatever can happen is going to happen because I'm operating in fear and I'm allowing it to drive me instead of, instead of standing firm against that fear and saying, no, no, I'm not going to allow myself to believe that. Now, sometimes we can't help the emotion of the moment where we automatically start thinking, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, and we can get ourselves worked out. But we have to have the, we have to have the spiritual fortitude to be able to say no. No, I'm going to remember the goodness of God. And I'm going to talk about the goodness of God. And I'm going to choose to focus on who he is and his goodness and not on this little situation here because I can trust him. Amen. So, so fear causes us to be completely irrational. Okay. And so I, I want to go into um, the, the, the next part of my message, which is kind of where I want to, I want to land on this and, and finish off on this. But I want to talk to you about the four not the four, about four ways, four causes of fear in our life, okay? And I have these chairs up here that I had the guys bring up. And this is just to give you a visual illustration, okay? There's nothing special about it. I'm just going to, when I mention each one, I'm going to hang a sign on it so you can see what they are. I just want it to, I want it to be in your mind so you can be uh, recognizing it and seeing, seeing if any of these four things resonates with you. Because I believe for us as human beings that one of these four is probably relevant in our life. Uh, maybe even more than one, maybe all of them. So uh, I want to I jump into that, the four causes of fear. And for whatever reason, they all start with S. I didn't intend for that, but maybe that'll help you to remember it too. And the first one is sin and selfishness. That's got two S's. That's really good. Sin and selfishness. This will cause us to walk in fear. Because oftentimes, our unwillingness to be obedient to God will bring fear in our life. Now, I combine sin and selfishness because... Uh, there, there's really no willful sin that's not based out of rooted in selfishness. You know, our sins are, are based out of just us wanting to be all about us and taking care of us. Um, and, so, and it causes us to sin. But sin and selfishness will cause fear. It's a breeding ground for fear in our life. Okay, And this doesn't have to be some huge sin that we're dealing with. This could be just an unwillingness to do what God has told you to do. You know, if God has told you to, uh, to do something and you don't do it, that's a sin. It doesn't have to be some huge, what we would call cardinal sin. Um, it's just an unwillingness to do what God would want us to do. And uh, what that does is it takes us out of that covering of God and causes fear. It brings us into a place where fear can be bred into our lives. And I'll give you an example. I, I mentioned Adam and Eve last week, and I'm going to mention them again this week because uh, it, it, it's relevant. They, you, know, you know the story. God put them in the garden and said, hey, you can eat of any tree in his garden except one. And which tree did they eat from? The one. They just couldn't help themselves. You know, they were deceived by the enemy and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And immediately after that, you see, you can look this up. I don't have it on the screen. But immediately after that, Adam was afraid. Because right after that was when God was, was looking for Adam. He said, where are you? And Adam said, oh, here I am. And he, he, he said, I was, I was hiding from you because I was naked and I was afraid. So fear came into Adam's life immediately when sin came in. Because he had removed himself from that communion with God. Up until that point, him and God, you know, they were hanging out, walking in the cool of the day. They were together. They were in communion together. But as soon as he sinned, it removed him from that and fear came in. And that's exactly what fear will do in each one of our lives. It's a breeding ground for fear. And when we, 
when we allow, uh, when, we, when we get into selfishness and just doing what we want, uh, as Christians especially, if you're a believer in this place today, we know when we're doing what God wants us to do. And we know when we're operating in selfishness. And there's something inside of each one of us that when we're operating in that selfishness, it, it, it separates us in some way from God. Now, it's, it's not saying we lose our salvation and he doesn't love us anymore. We're not, it's not going to that level. What I'm saying is when we know we're doing what we're not supposed to do, there's a part of us that kind of pulls back. And we kind of get out of that communion with, communion with God in a sense. And what that does is that, that allows fear to come right in and have its way and cause, it causes fear to grow in our lives. The beauty of it is the opposite is also true. In Proverbs 16, 7, it says that when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. So when we live in a way that's pleasing to God, and that's not saying we're living perfect. There's, no, there's nobody perfect in here. There's nobody perfect ever besides Jesus. But if we're living in a way that's pleasing God, it says that he'll even make our enemies live at peace with us. Our enemies are what bring most of the fear in our life. Whether it's a human or whether it's just a job or whether it's a... a a mindset that we have, whatever our enemy is, the enemy is what brings fear into our life. And so if God says that if we live in a way that's pleasing to him, even our enemies will be at peace. Peace is, is one of the opposites of fear. If we're walking in peace, that's a really great thing. And so we can walk in that peace if we will live a life that's pleasing to him. But some of you may be dealing with just being selfish and, and, and not considering God and everything you're doing, and it's opening the door for fear in your life, okay? And the second one is smoke and mirrors. Okay, and I know most of you know what that represents, but for those of you that may not, I'll, I'll explain it real quickly. Um, illusionists, magicians, whatever you want to call them, a lot of times in the past, and maybe even now, I don't know, but they used to use a lot of smoke and mirrors on, on, during their act to try to get you, now listen here, to try to get you, your eyes to see something that's not really there. You know, they'll, they'll use mirrors and smoke, literally, to try to create an illusion on stage where you think you're seeing something that you're not really seeing. I remember back in the 90s, I think David Copperfield made an airplane, a 747, disappear. And it was all nothing but smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion. And, and that is exactly what, what illusionists do. But that also is the textbook example of what the enemy does in our lives. He uses smoke and mirrors. He wants to make us see something that's not really there. And that's what breeds fear into our life. It's exactly, if... If I could give you the job description for fear, if fear had a job description that was written out, it's, it's not to try to get you to do something. What jo- jo- the job description of fear is to get you to believe the lie. Because if it can get you to believe the lie, you won't believe God. You can't do both. You can't say, oh yeah, I trust God, I believe God. Oh no, wait, no I don't. It doesn't work that way. We either, we either are walking in faith or we're walking in fear. And faith and fear cannot coexist. So if the enemy can get us to walk in that fear, to believe the lie, to believe the illusion, the smoke and mirrors that he puts around us to get us to, to expect bad things or to look at worst case scenario or to exaggerate the bad, then he's got us, which is exactly what happened in Mark 4 with the disciples. That's exactly what happened. They believed the illusion. The illusion was the, you know, the waves, and that was, that was real, the waves and the wind, but the illusion was, oh no, we're in trouble, we're gonna die. And he got them to believe that And so their faith went out the window and they were completely operating in fear. Now, praise God, Jesus is so good. They woke him up and and Jesus doesn't wake up from a nap like most of us do, grouchy and grumpy and wanting to smack somebody, you know. He actually woke up, well, he kind of did. He said, hey, where's your faith? Come on, guys, you don't have any faith. But then he still did what they needed. He calmed the wind and the waves. But the enemy will bring that smoke and mirror into our life to try to get us to not believe God. And it's so important that we have God's perspective. 
Because see, smoke and mirrors is the opposite of God's perspective. That's the enemies. That's what he would want us to believe. He wants us to see something that's not really there. Now, if God wants us to see something that's not really there, it's that he's given us perspective into the spiritual realm. I've been reading in uh, 2 Kings right now, uh, just in my regular Bible reading. And in chapter 6, you know, Elisha, uh, he is he is basically Israel and Aram are in a war. And uh, Elisha is reading the king of Aram's mail. He's just telling Israel what's going on. And the king of Aram gets so mad because God's telling Elisha what's going on. So he sends uh, an army to basically just try to destroy Elisha. And Elisha's in Dothan, and he's got a servant there with him. And the army surrounds the city, and they're coming to get Elisha. And the servant looks at Elisha and says, look at all those chariots. They're, the army's so big. There's, there's no way we could fight against this huge army. And Elisha, <laughs> you got to love him. He, says, he just says, Lord, I just pray that you open the servant's eyes to see and the Bible says that the servant's eyes were open and he saw up on the hill behind that army, he saw a whole hillside full of chariots of fire in the spiritual realm. Huge, just outnumbered the army that was there. And, and the servant's perspective immediately changed and the fear was gone because he could see with God's eyes. God gave him a glimpse into what was happening. And what happened was that, that the, the army of Aram was actually defeated in that situation. But, but the, the servant had to have God's perspective. So rather than going by the smoke and mirrors that the enemy would want us to go by, we can go by God's perspective because he'll give that to us. If you ask to see with his eyes, man, I pray that all the time, even for myself. I say, God, help me to see with your eyes. I don't want to look at this situation in my own carnal knowledge. I want to see it the way you would want me to see it. And man, God loves answering that prayer, church. He loves letting us see with his eyes because that's exactly what he wants. We're playing right into God's hands when we do that. And it makes him very, very happy to give that to us. To walk in that fear when, we, when we're walking, uh, when we're believing the smoke and mirrors is actually to walk in faith in reverse. Because fear is not a lack of faith, it's a faith in the wrong thing. So you actually have faith that the bad stuff's going to happen or, the, or, or that it's okay to be selfish and just do my own thing. You're actually doing the reverse of faith. But you're having the faith in the fear rather than the faith in God. All right, so the next one is Science. Yeah, I know that, that one there is super spiritual. Um, it's actually, it's, it's not as spiritual as the others as far as a, a sermon would go, but I believe that it is very practical and very uh, relevant. Um, I know this is somewhat of a touchy subject when we talk about um, science when it comes to the mind and how we deal with worry and anxiety and fear and depression and doubt and, and, and all of these emotions that come from the mind. There is a, for whatever reason, there is a stigma in the church that, it, that we don't like to talk about the fact that some people, it's a, it, some people have a chemical imbalance in their, in their brain. You guys know the brain is an organ just like every other organ, okay? It, it's, it's an organ in your body, and it has all kinds of stuff going on in there. And sometimes those, that stuff gets broken. You know, if we have heart issues, we don't think anything of it to take heart, heart medication. If we have high blood pressure, we don't think anything of it to take blood pressure medication. If we have diabetes, we don't think anything of it to take insulin. And if your eyes are going bad, we don't think anything of wearing glasses. We're, we're totally fine with all that. But when it comes to something being broken and, and chemicals being off in our, in our brain, for whatever reason, there's a stigma that comes with that. That you know, if, if you're dealing with worry and stress and anxiety, you just can't, you can't be, you just gotta figure out a way to suck it up. You gotta get over this. You know, you just need to pray harder. You know, and to that person, I would say, well, then take off your glasses and go driving. You know, like we need to be sensitive to those things. And for some people, you would say, I love Jesus with all my heart. 
And I pray all the time. I read my Bible all the time. I, I, I genuinely love him. I've loved him from a young age. I serve him. I do everything I know to do. I've prayed and I've begged him. I've fasted for him to help me to deal with the stress and worry and anxiety and depression in my heart. And I can't get victory over it. And for, for that, I would say, well, maybe you need to talk to your doctor. And that's okay. You know, I, I, read, I read an article not too long ago that said over half, well over half, of all pastors in America are on depression medication. Now, there's, a, there's part of that that's, that's sad, that, that pastors are dealing with depression that much. But, but there's a part of me that's, I'm encouraged by that. Like, I'm glad they're getting help rather than just sitting there depressed and feeling like if I prayed harder, I'd be able to get over this. Sometimes it just doesn't work that way. I mean, yes, God can deliver us, of course, but medical conditions require medical treatment. And it's okay. It is absolutely okay. And nobody needs to feel ashamed if we need to go get help because some of us are dealing with fear in levels that, that others don't even understand how much you're dealing with it. And we don't get help because we feel like, well, if I, if I love Jesus enough, if I read my Bible a little more, he's going to take care of it. You know, there's a bunch of fear knots in the Bible, but sometimes depending on the situation you're in, it makes you feel worse because you feel like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to fear, but I can't help it. What am I doing? And for that, I would say, don't be afraid if the situation arises to, to get the help that, that you may need. Because the, like I said, the brain's like any other organ and there's no shame in it whatsoever. I've talked to, I know plenty of people that are, that are, that are getting the help that they need and it changes their lives. And, uh, and that's okay, okay? All right, so the last one, short-sighted. It's actually short-sightedness, but I didn't want to put a ness on the bottom, so we're going to say short-sighted. Now, this is the last one, but it's definitely not the least, because this, I think, is the biggest, one of the biggest ones we as believers struggle with. Too many times, us as Christians are too short-sighted in our life. We're too focused on the here and now, and we lose the eternal perspective that God would want us to have. And when we are short-sighted and we're just focused on the here and now and the today and what's going on and trying to, uh, trying to get everything right today, we become so short-sighted, it's actually another, it's a breeding ground for fear. Okay? And let me explain. It doesn't matter how, how much we try to, to, to bring safety into our life. The, the absence, fear does not, um, I'm sorry, safety, the promise of safety does not eliminate fear. Okay, you guys know we're 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 the the safest generation that's ever been on the earth. You know we have our cars are safer than they've ever been. I mean, there's airbags all over the place. I think next they're going to be popping out of the rearview mirror. I mean, they're just everywhere. You know, we have all kinds of safety standards that automobile makers have to come up with. We our houses are better than they've ever been. There's, we have security systems in our houses. We all the products we buy. You know, there's so many safety uh, protocols that people have to go through before we can buy certain things. And and uh, we have more money than we've ever had. Most of us are making more money than we've ever made. And, uh, but yet we are struggling with fear as much, if not more, than we ever have. So we have to change our thinking and what actually eliminates fear. It's, there's nothing wrong with being safe and having those safety measures. But our, our, our peace and our faith and our trust cannot be built on those things. It has to be built on God. There's, there's not, nothing we can do. I think sometimes we want to create this God bubble that we could put around us that if we do everything right and we trust him enough that, nothing, that we're just going to be safe in this life. And it's, it's, that's nothing but short-sightedness. I can't stand up here today and tell you that as a believer, as somebody that follows Jesus, that nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. We can't do it because we, we do see it. We see things that happen all the time that are things that we would not want. Uh, we're having a service this afternoon, and it's going to be a celebration of Joey's life, but we're having a service this afternoon of a, a 54-year-old man that's, that went home to be with the Lord. 
And he loved Jesus as much as anybody I know. And so stuff is going to happen, but this is the thing. If you remember, if you listen closely, I said that Joey went home to be with the Lord. Joey finished the race. He won, okay? He won. He is in glory right now. He's with Jesus. He is not, we don't need to feel sorry for Joey, okay? If we want to grieve, we can grieve for the family because they're going to miss him terribly, okay? But we don't need to feel sorry for Joey because he finished the race and won the race. And he's completely healed. He'll never hurt again. There's no more tears in his life. He is rejoicing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? And we need to get that in our spirit. Okay? That needs to be real to us. I, I, I've, I say sometimes, like, if, if this was just a book, it's the Bible, but let's just say it's a book. And this represents your whole existence. Everything from birth forever, okay? This represents your existence. Do you know your life on earth is like this little inner flap? That's what it is. That's what represents your whole existence. Your, your life really starts when this life ends. Uh, you got all of this. This is all eternity. And if this book was wide enough to, to, to uh, represent all of eternity, it would go all the way to South Carolina. I mean, it, it, you couldn't contain it. When you talk about eternity, because there's no time in eternity. That's why Paul said, for me to live is to live for Christ. And if I die, that's even better. And we can, and we can rejoice in that and be excited for Paul. But I, I know me personally, there's times I feel like, man, I wish I could really believe that. Like I believe it, but I don't really believe it. But we need to really believe it. Because for us, when we get to go be with Jesus, that's when the life really starts. That's when it begins. And we can get so focused and short-sighted and thinking that we just need to, to make everything here good. And that if it's not good, that we're going to be in fear. And that, that, that perpetrates in our life way, way too often. You know, the Bible says that our life is a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. I mean, I, I'm 45 years old and I feel like I was 20 yesterday. I mean, it just goes so fast, you know. Pastor Bowen tells me, he says, you think it goes fast now, you wait till you get in your 70s. It's like, it just flies by. And, but yet we, we have the blessing of living in this country with all these comforts and all these blessings. It's the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. And it's a wonderful thing. But we can get so consumed with that if we're not careful. We can just be consumed with just continuing in the safety and the comfort uh, and living in this way that we forget about the fact that, wait a minute. The Bible says, what can man do to me? What can man really do to me? Jesus even said in Matthew uh, 10, 28, he said, don't fear the one that can kill the body. Fear the one that can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. You want to talk about fear. Jesus says, don't fear anybody that can kill you. Don't fear sickness. Don't fear bad people. Don't fear accidents. Don't fear any of those things that can kill you, your body. Because your body, that's, that's the inner flap of the book. Okay. He says, fear the one, and the one there is capitalized. He's talking about himself. He says, fear the one that can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. He's saying, listen, we don't need to worry about anybody that can do anything to us in this life. Because this is just, this is the preamble. This is the introduction. Now, this life is significant, and we, it's okay to be blessed and healthy and happy and enjoy our life. Jesus, he wants us to have that too. But we can't be so short-sighted. That the only way we're not going to be in fear is if we can figure out a way to make everything here really good and safe and healthy and happy. Okay? Because, you know, I, I know there's lots of stories about martyrs back in the, back in the early days especially that, that when, when they were martyred, they went to the, the stake to be burned or they went to the cross or wherever they went, that they went with joy. Because they, they knew they were only moments away from actually meeting Jesus. 
that's, that's the kind of perspective I want to have in life, that I'm not, I'm not short-sighted. I'm not thinking about this right now and today and how my house is and how, many, how my cars are and, and how my bank account looks, but I'm focused on the fact that, man, this time is so short. It's a vapor, and when I'm out of here, it's when I'm really, really going to be able to rejoice and live my life and be happy and love Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, well, let me let you stand so I don't talk forever. Please stand with me. Church, when it comes to being short-sighted and having an eternal perspective, what I love to say is that we as Christians are playing with house money. Now, I know we're not even allowed to admit that we know what that means because we're not gamblers, right? But playing with house money means you have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose. No, what can man do to me? And if we can have that perspective, it will, it will melt the fear in so many aspects of our life. We are not meant to live in fear. And I just want to encourage you today. I'm going to pray over us, but I want you just to, to, to see, picture yourself in one of these chairs where, where you may feel like, yeah, that's a struggle for me. And, but then I want you to not stay in the chair. I want us to get up. I want us to stand up against these things that are trying to hold us down and keep us down. Uh, the Hebrews tells us not to shrink back. Don't shrink back in your faith. Stand strong in your faith. The one that we believe in, the one that we know, the one that we love, his word is true. And we can stand on it. We can trust him and believe in it. And I'm just going to ask you today, to, as I pray, just, just open your heart to the Lord and let him maybe reveal those areas in your life. And just tell him, tell him that you're going to trust him in a greater way. And I'll ask him to open your eyes and give, him, give you his perspective. Amen. Okay, well, let's pray. Father God, we love you today. We thank you so, so much that we can trust you. And God, I thank you today that, that it was for freedom that you set us free, Jesus, and that we don't have to be slaves any longer. Thank you, God, that, that you give us the ability to stand firm. Lord, I pray that each and every person in this room would wage all-out war against fear in their life, that we would not allow fear to have its way, but that we would stand against it and say, no, 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 I will not allow it. We will not take it sitting down as represented these chairs. We will stand up to it. We will not shrink back. We will proclaim boldly who you are, we will walk in faith and trusting you. Our faith is in you. It's not in our fears. It's in you, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would help everyone in this room today to, to see which, which area they may be dealing with, God, and to, to give them the fortitude to be able to wage war against it, to say, no, today is the last day. We're not going to take this sitting down. We're going to walk in that freedom. We're going to walk in that peace. We're going to walk in trust and in faith and boldness because of what you did for us and who you are, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for everybody and anybody in this room that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, has never given their life to you and has walked in fear their whole life. God, I pray you deliver them today. I pray that you'd show them your love for them, God, that what you did on the cross was for their salvation and to set them free from everything that holds them back. God, help none of us to leave here today without making you Lord of our life and giving our hearts to you and trusting you to forgive us for all of our sins, God. We love you. We pray that you would seal your work in our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. And we give you all the glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 God bless you.